Hi, uh, my name's Jack Pearson. I'm the artist du jour. Thank you so much for all showing up. Um, and uh, thanks to the National, the National Portrait Gallery for including me in this exhibition, which, you know, is pretty magnificent to me, and, and I'm really honored and uh, touched to be um, included in it as I look around. It's my first viewing, it, viewing of it today, so um, thanks a lot. Um, Okay, so uh, any questions? <laughs> um, I had been working in, you know, I first started showing my work in New York galleries in 1990, and it was sort of after a period of maybe seven years. I, I moved to the city in 1983, and. Uh, during that time, like, was sort of the, the um, uh, you know, it was the AIDS epidemic, and I lived in the East Village, and uh, while I wasn't, like, uh, I noticed a picture of Larry Kramer, I, I'm not overtly political, like, I sort of just think that by being myself, you know, I'm, I'm that trip of political, like, if I'm myself to my fullest um, ability, then that will be a political gesture, so... I sort of, like, I wasn't an act up, I didn't protest, I sort of just sort of tried to take it all in, but I did, um, I did, you know, I guess just walking down the street in life sometimes, that's how you, how you think, or how I think, or how I become creative, it's, it's just a matter of where you are, and at that time, um, my friend was just asking me about these newspapers by Robert Gober, and, um, my guess, he said, well, why, I, I was pointing out that they're handmade, these newspapers. I, I'm, I'm assuming even the string is handmade, because I know he's very, um, you know, monk-like and sort of um, penitent without sounding pejorative. Like, he would make each thread and do da-da-da-da-da. And so my friend said, uh, well, why would anybody bother to do that? And I didn't get a chance to answer you. But um, part of it, I, I am assuming at that time, and I think that's the same time in 83 to 90 that these were probably made. I don't know. Does it say? Oh, no, they're 92, sort of. What I'm putting on it is that he was taking this, like he was trying to, um, you know, there's a whole political content on the top, I think. Oh, no, not in this set. He's not in the... Yeah, there is. There is? Oh, okay, so, ooh, watch out. Don't step on no, it's okay, no. So my flip answer was going to be, well, probably, you know, like, why would he make these? My flip answer, because now I've been worn down by years in the art world, would be like, you know, for the $3 million he'd be paid to make them at this point. Um, but the real answer is probably that he wanted to invest this kind of throwaway disposable thing that we all encounter on a day-to-day -day basis without thinking much about how much information, how much... Um, pleasure, how much stuff is going into it. Like, that's probably why he made them by hand. And so they're made, you know, the paper's archival. It's probably not going to fall apart as quickly as newspaper. It's not the same thing as taking the real newspaper and just taking a bunch of them and saying, this, this is good enough. He had to make them. If any of that's making sense. I would have just tied up real newspaper. If I, if I wanted to make that statement, I would have just tied up the room. Anyway, so I don't know how I got there, but 
When I first started to take pictures or show pictures in the galleries, I had my own pictures. I went to art school. I knew how to do photography. I didn't see uh, my world in it. Like It seemed like to be an art photographer was one thing, and to be a fashion photographer was another thing. And both of those things seemed to have a, like, a rigor and a discipline that I did not care to engage in at that time. So I sort of just printed my pictures. And they were sort of crummy. And uh, they, they were big and crummy. So then that made you look at them more. But by crummy, I mean they weren't necessarily in focus. They might have dust on them. They weren't exactly exciting. They looked like anybody's snapshots. Um, any one of us all have snapshots that look like these pictures that I put on a gallery wall, just slightly bigger. Mine were a little grittier. They might be a little more subtext of a, a sinister lifestyle, maybe. Um, but, you know, and, but people liked them. They responded at that time to their lack of manufacture. They were just pinned to the wall. They weren't so great. Photography in 1990 was all about a big manufacturer. It was like framed. It was big. It was in the same way like I would make the metaphor of like gays trying to assimilate into um, uh, you know, a heteronormative society. Photography always had to like try a little bit harder be a little bit bigger, be a little bit splashier, be a little bit more expensive to get you to take it as seriously as painting. And I wasn't into that. I didn't have the means to do it. I didn't have the inclination. Mine were just pinned to the wall. Anyway, so I got over with that kind of photography a while enough so that people in magazines started asking me to take pictures. And uh, you know, I availed myself of all the assistance and money and stuff. And all of a sudden was starting to do work that looked like competent photography. And a lot of it was of handsome men, because that's what they would, that's what they saw in my work and wanted me to do. So a lot, and you know, after 10 years of doing that one day, I have all these pictures of great handsome men, but because there is that whole thing that I think part of the show is about, like, is a handsome man enough as a subject matter? Uh, I was just like, oh, I can't really like integrate this with my work. I don't know. It needs this. It needs something, and so I did not set out to do this. I did not have an idea like I'm going to do a, a body of work of self-portraits that aren't of me. I had a body of work of pictures that weren't of me, and I called them self-portraits as a sort of cynical gesture. Uh, like I knew if I put a, attached a concept to it and did it right, and I followed it through. Like I, there was a book. There was a studious essay with footnotes, and there was a little, you know, medallion of a Greek coin, and it all looked very official somehow. You bamboozled us. I bamboozled you, and uh, the New York, you know, and uh, but it was good, you know what I mean. And all of a sudden, the pictures had these big frames that announced them like paintings, and uh, you know, I sort of bought like after ten years of being in the system and changing the system, I then reverted to the system a little bit, and so these are two of those pictures. And the first, it's, this is sort of interesting because there's one from the beginning and one from the end. So you see, like, this is much more what a photograph of mine would have looked like. If you imagine this without a frame and a little bit smaller, this is what one of my photographs would look like. Do you know what I mean? Like, a nothing situation, sort of a mess, a screen door, but like some kind of like intimacy and quality of um, 
I don't know. Like for me, when I took the picture, I grew up with older brothers. They all wore these weird kind of college t-shirts. I don't know what they're called, but in the 60s, everybody had, all the older boys had one of those. I yeah, but I think you could get one for any college. That one is the hard, you know. So I had that, and I don't know, like, it's also, like, it, you know, whatever. Now it's embarrassing to be in front of a huge group of people, but, like, you know, those are the kind of underpants boys wore in the 60s. It, it was like, I'm going to take this picture that looks like I was taking it of my brother's friends in 1967, sort of, uh, and never did. And I feel like I succeeded with that. And, this doesn't, you know, and it's a self-portrait of, you know, whatever. I don't know. Like, it has that title. This one's at the end where I'm trying to sh pull back the curtain and show you, like, oh, I can still take, like, the look on his face is very, like, intimate, sensitive, like, I'm having a moment with you somehow um, that I feel like is a style that I can create, you know what I mean? They're, they're, he's just a male model, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, for hire. I can create, that's part of my, what if I have a talent, I can give you that look. I feel like I do the same thing here, but I'm completely pulling back the curtain and showing you like, it's all smoke and mirrors, it's a, st it's a studio setup. It's, you know, yeah, that's my phone, sorry. I'll show them. <laughs> Who knew? Um, so it's just, I, kind of the same thing, but like I, I, at the end I wanted it to look like I want you to know I knew what I was doing in any circumstance. It's part of my ego. Like, you know, it's not just a perfect moment in a real situation. I can give you a perfect moment in a false situation. Um, there are 26 of them? I think there's 26. There could be more. It's sort of ongoing. If I get a good one, is that me? No, that's the alarm. Oh, uh, really? OK. Um, Anyway, and I don't know, like I liked this one because it also reminds me of um, the Rocky Heart Picture Show, if you know, like sort of when he comes out of the thing. Like I, that's what I was in my mind trying to recreate is like when they make the guy. And uh, also there was a Diana Ross album cover in the 70s that looked just like that. Is that gay enough for you? Um, I don't know. Okay, so then what? Keep going. Oh, do you want to talk? Okay, so part of the, uh, you know, he was mentioning that. Um, yeah, they just nobody moved that way. But in the middle, the middle picture is Mark Morris wrote Fascination, which is Jack Pearson as subject as opposed to creator. And that is 1983, the year I moved to New York. Uh, we lived in that. I lived in that apartment. Mark still lived in Boston at that point. Um, I don't know. I have taken pictures of myself, and I never really, I never call them self-portraits, because even self-portrait to me, you know, whatever, it's a basic generic term, but like, if I ever set out to make a self-portrait, I could only smile, because it just seems so, like, I don't know, pretentious. Like, I'm, yeah, a little bit, you know. Because it, it was a joke. I mean, it pays off, and I stand behind it, but in my mind, it was this whole, like, okay, the other the thing about photography for me, like it's good to see these old photographs of people that inspire, like Carl Van Vechten. What a, what a gift that is to have you point that out, because Carl Van Vechten was a huge um, thing to me as a youth. Like 
Uh, and it's sort of odd to me that he's not more popular now. Like, they haven't seemed to maintain that legacy, because, like, in the 70s, I felt like he was very, like, you know, he wasn't alive, but, like, people knew about him and cared about him. And um, where am I going with that? Uh, right. Photography in general, or in the art world that I inhabit, or in the schools I teach in, like, like it's all about this, like, series, like, everything has to be a series of photographs, like, this is my series of trees, or this is my series of Ugandan workers, and I guess it's just, like, a nomenclature that makes it easy to dissect this thing that I have never thought was that interesting, so, um, or like something I didn't, I wanted to engage in. So, but so this was my series, and it had a press release, and I was working on a series, and I was mocking, in my mind, mocking, and nobody knew that, but that's how I got to it. Sort of. Anyway, Mark Marsrow was more a pictorial photographer. His work really came out of F. Holland Day and Aikens and the guys that were big in the Museum of Fine Arts Boston when we went to school there, and. And he was very operating in that way of like, please let me in if I'm like a beautiful painting. You know what I mean? And, that, and uh, they are beautiful photographs and beautiful paintings or whatever, but it, there's two ways to go with photography, or there's probably many ways to go, but one of the ways to go is to be like as much like a painting as, as you can be, or there's a way to be as much like, a, you know, photojournalism or documentation or sheer like information well lit and uh, in focus. Can I, just, just to, when you get a chance to look at the Morris on the way back, my co-curator Jonathan Katz, whose partner is a, is a, a late 19th century art historian at the University of Pennsylvania. So he came through, and we're going to have to redo the label because Jonathan and I weren't smart enough to do this. He came through, looked at, he didn't know Jack Pearson from any, he looked at it, he says, oh yeah, that's my name's man, a woman with a parrot. And so there's a, there's a, it's a classic or a neoclassical reference to you know, post-impressionism with a, a very sensuous, semi-naked woman on, you know, on a divan with a parrot, and it's the same. Oh, really? So it's like, so I have to ask you, did Mark Morris know that, or is it unconscious? And no, I think it was fairly unconscious that it was, um... No cat in the, the yeah, no, that was just the, the... Um... <laughs> Not that I remember at this point. I think there are three cats there, no? That's part of the other. There is? Well, there's at least two, I think, no? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, whatever, that was just... It's a good picture. It's nice to have a picture of yourself in your youth. Which is why I guess I made these at probably 45 to... Like that. Okay. Any questions? Not that it's over, but thank you. So you don't see anything political in this, just in terms, even within your mocking of the strategy. I mean, you began with the notion, which almost seemed to me to come out of the New York school of Frank O'Hara, I go here, I go there, and I write a poem about it. You, you got sidetracked into Gover, because I suspect that you were looking to deflect attention from your own work. Um, but, but again, this notion of sort of ephemerality, which seems to me to be interesting, that, that, and we tied you to Whitman, and we're gonna have to change all this now because we're you know, taking you down the whole thing. This was just a con trick. Because so we're going back to Whitman with the whole notion of the people that you meet on the street. Well, see, okay, well, I did get sidetracked and I don't know how I, I was trying to explain how these are different looking pictures than the first pictures I made, which were quotidian, as they say, and every day and sort of 
The other thing I didn't make a point of here was like, I did like at that moment that I was making these pictures that were snapshot-ish, there was an anonymous quality that um, I felt like I achieved. Like, people really believed in my first shows that they were found photographs because they just had such a look of not, you know, not being created with any intention somehow because they were snapshots. And, um, and part of the way I got there to thinking that those things look good to me was that on the streets of the East Village where I lived in those days from 83 to 90, say, there, it was an open market on 2nd Avenue. And at, at 10 o'clock at night, people would come out and there would be blankets full of wares. And you would walk by after dinner and look at intimate pieces of people's lives, like their stack of um, snapshots, like a dish they got in Florida, uh, you know, snapshots. and and. I don't know, like they're pornography, they're this, they're that, and it was all right there. And when I first got to New York, my naivete was like, oh, this is all stolen. They just steal it and run down here and sell it. But then now, like, and this is even 20 years later, what I realized that was, it was that was all the junk being thrown out. And there was a lot of gay stuff in there. And that was part of the draw for me. It was like the old 50s porno and a snapshot of a you know, naked guy like that. Like I would look. 20 years later, I realized that was all the stuff that was being dumped out. Like, you know, the mother would come to the apartment, they'd clear it all out, and, you know, it would wind up for sale. But I became, like, enchanted by these little lives on blankets, and I just decided to, uh, you know, make sure my own was intact in that way. Like, here's my snap. I don't want to have to keep these snapshots. I want to put these snapshots into the public realm. Like, you will curate these ideas for me and take care of them. Um, I wanted to make sure they got taken care of on a certain level. I think is this, uh, and what I'm saying by not being political, like I didn't do that in 1990, but that's what I did, essentially. And I didn't learn that I did that. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that was the big holy grail to move to New York from Boston, like, you know. I don't know, you wanted to get out of Boston as soon as you could. Or I, you know, my crowd did anyway. Like, I don't know. it's lovely people that still live there, but for me, it was like a stepping stone. Well, but you know, I think in Boston we did get that sense. Also, like I wasn't scholarly, and neither was Mark. But I do think because we went to the museum, we learned from Singer Sergeant Isabella Stewart Gardner that there were these lies. Like you could have these. Uh, creative little aesthetic lives where you captured moments along the way and turned it into a career on a certain level. When did you start working with word and image? Uh, well, um, you know, they soon thereafter, my first show sort of, um, you know, like I put it all on a credit card and then I was broke. And so then the next material I had available to myself were, were like just paper and pencil. And with paper and pencil, I would do these like sort of journalistic diary entries that sort of were filled with maudlin self-pity and despair. And, uh, and they seemed to fly at that time too. And uh, then that turned into these more concrete, I do, I do another branch of my art is uh, these words that are made out of found signage and sort of re 
constructed to make single words or poetic phrases like that. But I'm not disavowing anything. I'm just saying, like, I don't have, like, um, the, the way I make work is to sort of, like, give up trying to, um, like, be great. No, I think that that's why you turn to the, go to the newspaper stack. This right. is, um, whatever, I'm not going to use There's a technical term for it, and I'm not going to use it. Um, where it's this kind of found object, which again I find appealing in terms of that. The, the thing that's interesting to us in the show about this is the way that this takes the cliché um, Abercrombie and Fitch Gap male pretty boy and in a way plays with that. That so obviously Abercrombie and Fitch used to be a responsible upright wasp organization before it became the soft porn catalog that it is now. Um, so that this began almost, it's almost that this is the precursor of that, that there's a, there's a, that, that you're picking up on a kind of cultural theme that then gets evolved. And one of the reasons we wanted to bring it out was, again, in terms of how do you end a show after Stonewall, after AIDS, in terms of going forward. And that, it seemed to us, since we couldn't show all 26 of them, that, that, that this showed a kind of a possibility of pushing against the stereotype. Right. Yes, and but also I had like with these things in mind. These aren't great examples of them, but part of in taking the walk in the everyday and looking at the newspaper, like I am able on a certain level to see art every place, as queer as that sounds. Uh, so to me, like on a certain level, like beyond even like you know this show is great and it's a whole other thing. But in terms of politics and uh, things like that, like, there's no gay conceptual artist like Calvin Klein. You know what I mean? Like, he's the one that spent the money on 20-story billboards of a guy in his underwear, which changed something about the way everybody thought of men and masculinity and homosexuality in the 70s. You know what I mean? And that, that isn't lost on me. So, like, I could be, like, a person that went to Bard College and studied gender identity and politics and blah, 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 and I could do my terse little political statement about gays and identity, but I sort of like got all I need from Marky Mark, you know, in Times Square. Just as well, women got it from the road. Yeah, like, or whatever, stuff like that. I sort of get that thing, but that doesn't mean like, you know, I'm not invalidating any anybody's work, but like I get other things, you know what I mean? And then that's what I aspire to as opposed to, you know. That's why you're an artist, kind of curious. I guess or something, I don't know, like that. Am I making sense? Yes. Did, did A, if you were in New York in 1983, did AIDS get into your work at all, or did you make a decision, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do Well, I guess I just didn't know, you know what I mean? Like I didn't, know, like, I wasn't thinking AIDS when I did it somehow, but I think that's how, that's why I got in in 1990 was like this fragile little ephemeral work that I was making, thinking like the reason I'm making it is I can't afford to do this and I can't do this and I've, everybody's done that. Like I was just in my own neurotic head trip, who knows, or in denial or something, but I wasn't like this is a statement about AIDS. But when then the reviews start pouring in, like, oh, clearly he's talking about AIDS and ephemerality and blah, blah, blah. I think, oh, man, you know. Uh, but I mean, that's part of, 
that's part of the reason I bother to tell stories about myself is that like then I get information back because like in my own head like I you know I don't know things. So yeah, no, I didn't I didn't have a big, but it was going on and I was part of it and he died of AIDS and we were dealing with that kind of thing. But that was also a thing I learned from Mark Morris Road too, who was like the older artist. You know, there is, is there a theme? I haven't read the whole catalog, but there is a, for me with... Um, well, the theme actually, as you've already articulated, is the theme is art making, taking whatever disparate or formalistic or just you know, wild ass off the wall, whatever you want to do with the subject of, 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 of gender, ambivalence, queerness, however you want to define it. I mean, it, it is, to that extent, within the portrait gallery, an art show, not a portraiture show, although it's based, derived on even the most abstract portraiture. But it, so, it, right. so it actually is dovetailing completely with your theme. I mean, and I go back tiresomely to the same idea of Whitman and, and the kind of infinite possibilities of self-invention, self-creation, creation itself. Right. But there's all, I, um... I mean, obviously through different periods. I mean, the 1890s is a lot different than the 1990s. But sort of connected to what, what I was, the tangent I wanted to make was that there's in, in, I guess in everybody's life, and I'm not just saying gay life, but I feel like in gay life there is this idea of mentorship. Um, and uh, when I first got to Boston, Mark Marsrow was like, four years older than me, so he was four years smarter in the ways of the city and making art, and he had already been through college, and I was just sort of there like, okay, what? And I would learn things from him, and one of the things I learned from him about art making was like, he would do weird things like, one of his projects before he made beautiful art prints was like, he would cut up these little, did you see that Jess collage of 50s pornography? Like he'd cut up 50s pornography just like little, like hack at them with scissors around the boy's face and then put it in a candy box and then just go leave that on the street someplace. <laughs> and I'd be like, but you know, why, like, why would you want to do that? And he was like, well, I just like to think about like what the person's going to think when they find it. <laughs> and to me, that was a big release, like as opposed to like making art for this museum you know what I mean, which was never my, like I sort of never thought that could happen anyway, like I started as a sort of like, okay, this is never gonna fly, I'll do it anyway, somehow. So like, the, but that little thing that he told me, like that's what I mean, like that's why I could look at somebody's snap, stack of snapshots and think those were art at the same time as I thought the Calvin Klein five-story billboard was art, like it's like, which is not, like, it's sort, of, it's sort of a daft notion, but it helps me somehow. That again, I mean, it's just which one of the themes in the show, which is this whole cross-generational, uh, whether it's circles of friends, salons, people in different, um, you know, go to, go to Paris to have fun, come back to America to be repressed. And actually at the same event where we met last year in New York, Anthony Giacolia, whose picture is in the corner, said something interesting to me, which is kind of, I find it one of the most touching things back in this show, where John Lee has said, the problem with being gay is that you're not born into a community. You're not born into anything. If you're black, you're born into a black family. If you're Jewish, you're born into a Jewish family. You're born into even a wider community, a wider network, which is a network of women or network or what have you. And he said, but, the, but the element, and I think you see this if you go back to the front to 
Arnold comes of age with the little butterfly, which is Grant Wood, the one guy who hated Paris, goes to Paris, hates it, comes back to Cedar Rapids, and how does he deal with his personal and professional life? And the butterfly as both a sign of coming out, but also the butterfly as a sign of camouflage. What, how are you making the connections you need to, to, to make? And, then, and that, you know, again, that notion of mentorship, that, that is why that picture is in the, the show, the same reason that you're in the show, and Gonzalez Flores at the other side, where again, that element of ephemerality gets picked up and invested with a meaning that goes, be, you know, again, the detritus of newspaper stacks being thrown out, turned into something else. Right. Um, that's very important, these circles. No, and what Anthony said is true, and it is like something like that's the whole thing about image making in general in magazines and ephemera to me is like when you're five years old and you realize, oops, there's something different about me and the rest of everybody, I'm now my family. Like you go into some sort of uh, hide and seek mode where like you've got something to hide and then you've got something to look for because somebody's sending you signals from, in my case, it. It could, let's just say it was the, is it Aikens with the boxer? Or is that George Bowen? Say it was that, I feel like I had an Encyclopedia Britannica that had like a Paul Cadmus painting called Gilding the Acrobats, where they're painting, it's the same painting, only they're painting him gold. And I was like, what is this? Like, I won't, I won't be mentioning what is this, you know, but like somehow, and then, he got it in. So somewhere, like, I just depend on that same thing of, like, leaving the candy box. If I can get in magazines now, and some kid in Grand Rapids rips that one out, and it does something on his bedroom wall, like, my job is done on a certain level. Like, it's nice to be here with you and all these people in a national institution, but, like, that other thing was what I was looking for. And, who knows? I don't know. Well, again, I think that that's a really nice statement for what we were trying to achieve by putting you essentially last as you head out the door, that element of connection and the tradition that's ongoing. Is there any more questions? So, anyway, thank you, Jack. We really appreciate it. Thank you.